Welcome to the Black Hereford Chronicles with Jen Hill. Here we discuss all things Black Hereford. Join me for in-depth conversations and insightful interviews relevant to your Black Hereford operation. Before we jump in, I've got an update for you on the sale report from the signature Black Hereford sale. They sold 19 heifers, which averaged just over $3,400, three bulls averaging $4,100, and one pair that brought $3,100. Congratulations to the Smiths and all the other consigners that were a part of that sale. A few weeks ago, the American Hereford Association members all received an email announcing the discovery of a new defect, delayed blindness, or DB. The AHA was quick to make it clear that the genetic defect is considered autosomal recessive, which means an affected calf has to have two carrier parents. They've also released a regularly updated list of animals that have been tested. Of course, as anyone who's spent much time on my herd, the AHA version of digital beef, can tell you, my herd is a total pain and completely ridiculous to navigate. However, one notable sire includes MSN Stockmaster 512, who's in a ton of pedigrees. Of course, if you listen to episode 35 with Matt Spengler, you'll remember that it often takes a very impactful stud for any of these new defects to be discovered. Otherwise, we wouldn't notice it in enough numbers for it to matter. Well, I've been lucky enough to grab Dr. David Steffen of UNL, who worked on the team that studied the defect and developed the commercial test for DB. Let's dig in. Demand has been hot for Schrader's Black Herefords, but if you missed your chance to grab some of those genetics at their fall sale, don't panic. They're taking reservations on spring calves now. You want a program that takes their job seriously, that tracks and monitors all of their data, that's in this to build real, functional cattle that work, and that is dedicated to the American Black Hereford. You want Schrader's Black Herefords. With a program focused on maternal and carcass traits that cattlemen need and a drive to serve their loyal customer base, it's no wonder they sell out so quickly. Schrader's bulls aren't going to be available long, so make sure you've gotten a hold of them. If you want to get in on that spring calf offering, give Schrader's a holler. You can call Jason at 573-680-1439 or check out their website, Schrader's Black Herefords, all one word, dot com where you'll find a wealth of knowledge and more than just their operation, but things about Black Herefords in general. Don't forget to follow them on Facebook. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of the Black Hereford Chronicles. Um, I am here with Dr. David Steffen. Did I say that right? Yes. Perfect. And I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about what you do, and then we'll roll into today's topic. Okay, I'm Dr. David Steffen, and I'm a veterinary pathologist at the Nebraska Veterinary Diagnostic Center. So I have a fairly diverse job. Uh, my routine work is to do anatomic, you know, looking at uh, autopsies of animals that arrive at the diagnostic lab or parts that a veterinarian would collect out on the ranch or in the feedlot and submit uh, to the laboratory to help diagnose the disease. So if the local vet doesn't select the specific test, sometimes they give the lab discretion and will decide which tests make the most sense based on the clinical problem. And 
the pathology that we see and try to get a diagnostic report back to them. As a subset of that, I have a specialty in examining uh, neonatal problems in calves, particularly ones where people are concerned that there's a malformation they think might be genetic. We also, I also look at problems that are genetic that aren't congenital. Uh, the thing we're gonna talk about today, the blindness in Hereford cattle, those calves are born completely normal and eventually go blind. So I have a lot of expertise in that. I also, over the years, have done a lot of studies with uh, viral pathogenesis in livestock uh, with other researchers on campus, particularly with respiratory disease. So we look at everything here from dog and cat biopsies to zoo animals and to bats. On Monday, I had cattle cases. I had a river otter. I had a exotic bat from the zoo, and it's it's an interesting job. I'm sure that would keep you hopping anyway. Lots of different stuff. Yep. So today uh, we're going to focus in on on what you kind of said there on the delayed blindness that was announced pretty recently by the American Hereford Association. And I'd like to start by just asking how you got involved in that project. How did that kind of wind up in your lap? Well, I trained under Dr. Horst Leipold at Kansas State University back in the late 80s and early 1990s. And he was a world expert on these birth defects in cattle and investigating them. And then he passed away, I think it was in the mid nineties. And then I was the last grad student he trained. So I kind of was still active looking into those things. So I had the connections with the breed association. So I've always been a consultant for most of the major breed associations, particularly on the beef side, uh, when people would complain to the contacts at the breed associations about an abnormal calf that they thought might be influenced by the sire or something. They refer a lot of cases to me. So I always get uh, pretty much every week, I get a handful of cases like emails, either from producers or routed through the breed association, asking about a phenotype, wanting to know if this could be genetic or not. The vast majority of them aren't. So we kind of triage there. Sometimes there's a phenotype that's so definite. I can say, yeah, we know it exactly what that is. And these are the implications, you know, it may be caused by a plant toxicity or a virus or, and then there's ones that, yeah, we know what this is, it's genetic and there's testing available and here's how we manage it. And then there's some that we don't know what causes it, but I've seen enough cases over the years that it hasn't been in a pattern that causes a lot of concern. We think it's environmental, but there's, it's hard to track those down because a lot of these defects present at birth can be induced during the first three months of gestation. And by the time the abnormal calf is presented to us, it's too late to capture the data we need to figure out what actually caused it. Um, so we kind of like, well, yeah, we know we don't know for sure what causes this, but based on experience, it's not a concern for your breeding program. And, that, and then we get some like these blind cattle, what you call them. It's something new and we had a call about two blind cows in a herd and they were, I don't remember whether they were out of an embryo flush or something, but they were closely related. So that creates a possibility that it could be genetic. So early on when we get these reports, the first thing we ask is about the breeding background. The ones that are the most threat to the cattle industry are the ones that are inherited as a recessive trait, meaning the gene variant would have to be carried by both the sire and the dam. Because in those cases, if a sire carries a recessive deleterious variant, 
he can spread that silently to a whole bunch of offspring before anybody sees a problem because you have to have uh, co-sanguinous mating or you know mating line breeding type situations for the phenotype to be exhibited. So those are the ones we're really concerned about. And when we looked at these blind cattle, they did have some common ancestry back in their pedigree that, well, there's a chance it could be recessive. And then I'm pretty fast to admit when things are outside my level of expertise, I'm like, well, blind cattle and you look, the, the phenotype doesn't have any external abnormal appearance. The front of the eye, the cornea is normal. There's no exudate in the anterior chamber of the eye. So when you look at the eye, it's normal. So that means we needed to have somebody to look at uh, the retina. So the initial cases we referred to a veterinary school for an ophthalmologist to look at the back of the eye and they thought it looked like a retinal atrophy. And at that time, there wasn't, when we first had cases, there wasn't any described retinal atrophies in cattle. Uh, subsequently, there is one described uh, by Dr. Drogmiller in Germany. It's not the same as this one. It's a different variant with a little bit different phenotype, but it's a pretty rare condition. So after they made that diagnosis, we worked with the Breed Association, decided it was important enough to investigate further. So we made arrangements to get the first two uh, cows shipped to us so we could harvest the uh, eyes and get a better uh, look at what was going on. And then in the process, whenever we have reported cases of defects where we think it may be genetic, it's kind of a standard protocol now, we get the parentage information. If it looks like it's something that may be worth investigation at some time, maybe not right now or even if, or right now, We'll get uh, a tissue sample from the calf. It's the, if it's deceased, if it's alive, we'll get a EDTA or a purple top blood sample, and we get a sample from the dam. And then the sires, if it's an AI sire, we can use semen. Sometimes if it's on the ranch, we'll get a blood sample from them, and we'll harvest and bank DNA. So we have bank DNA from a variety of abnormalities that we're in pursuit of right now, we have, I have a meeting next week with Jessica Peterson. She's an animal scientist here on campus with expertise in molecular genetics. And I have a meeting with her next week to talk about some cattle that were born with polydactyly and conditioned with extra toes. And we, I did a whole bunch of radiographic work in the last two years, looking at the sires and dams and some of the offspring from these matings and found some unusual phenotypes in the distal legs on those. And we're going to we have some DNA banked on that. We're going to at least do some preliminary looks at the DNA to see if we can find some clues on that disease. But so a person had a problem that looked unusual and uh, uh, non -pre not previously described phenotype and some related Hereford cows that were blind. So we started looking at it. What's that timeline typically look like? How long does it usually take from you know that first phone call of I think we might have something interesting here? to saying, yes, this is this is an issue. Yeah, I mean, that varies a lot depending on the number of animals we get initially and how fast you can proceed with something. Sometimes we'll get a, an individual case that, man, it looks like it's really something and you don't have full cooperations, so there's not enough to go on it. And it's not, it has to be enough of a concern within the breed that we can get some funding released to look into it because there's always uh, 
some economic consequence. I have ongoing funding that allows me to at least do the initial consultations. We don't charge. If something gets referred to me from a breed association uh, for investigation, we typically don't charge any fees to the producer. They're kind of responsible for the local vet charges for sample collection and getting it shipped to me, but all the laboratory investigations and stuff are covered by the breed association or by research grants that we have. The best, most rapid case we have in recent memory was there was a facial dysplasia in Hereford cattle where I think the first cases were like in February, March of a given year. And by late fall, we had had enough cases submitted and really great cooperation from the owners getting us samples and from the breed associations and the sequencing data worked out like really good. And we found the mutation and knew what we were dealing with like nine months after the first case ever came to anybody's attention. That would be an exceptional, I'd say best case scenario. The blindness, I think we're kind of at the end of the second year since we heard about it. It took a little bit longer to get everything put together on that. Some of it was logistics. You had to get the cows somewhere to be looked at and then get them up here and, and looked at and harvested. And then we had to uh, get some control cows to look at at a slaughter plant arranged and get all the sequencing done and analyzed. So in delayed blindness, you're looking for a control allele, correct? Well, we're when we do the sequencing, we look for Usually we go fairly quickly to whole genome sequencing now, but initially we look at like the nucleotide polymorphisms and see if there's segments of the genome that are segregating with what our hypothesized phenotype is. So this one we approached with the hypothesis that this is a simple recessive trait, meaning there would have to be a segment of the genome that's homozygous in the affected calves and heterozygous in both the sire and dam of the affected calf. And then if we know the pedigree up to where there's the common ancestor, um, we try to sample animals up that chain and throw those into the database too. And then on the given ranch, we'll look at uh, some half sibs at their phenotypes. And we get, usually we get the sequencing and then look real hard for a variant in the sequence that's segregating in line with our hypothesis. And then once we find that, then we can take a close look at the gene to see if there is a substitution. Like in this case, there was a substitution that actually resulted uh, a few codons down and a stop codon that truncated the protein that would be produced by the gene. So can you talk a little bit about the delayed blindness and what the impact of that is? It, there hasn't been a ton of information that's come out yet. So what should people be looking for? I mean, beyond digging into their pedigrees. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's kind of amazing when you tell people that it's hard to tell when cattle are blind because <laughs> when a person's blind, it's usually pretty obvious they'll complain about it. But with cattle, particularly with the delayed onset, we haven't had the opportunity, you know, in the original herds we worked with, we genotyped like the whole calf crop that was on the farm, hoping we'd find some early homozygous for the variant ones that were going to be affected so we can maybe uh, sample a calf early on or e even follow them through development to see when they start going blind but we haven't had an opportunity to do that 
And if the vision loss is slow, the animals will slowly accommodate to that and they'll learn tricks like following the other animals in the herd. And as long as they're in a familiar pasture or pen, they navigate things really quite well. Um, but if, if the blindness is the only phenotypic thing, and with the onset, we're estimating it, you know, it's maybe at about a year to 18 months is when people are reporting these as blind. In some of the genotyping we've done, we found some genotypes out there that were homozygous for the variant, like we called the ranches to find out if they were blind. And there was one ranch, like they weren't even aware of it. And they went out and checked and Kent called us back a few days later and said, well, you're right, they are blind. <laughs> so... The Smith offering in the signature Black Hereford sale was incredibly successful. In fact, they have already announced that there will be a repeat sale in 2024. But just because the sale is over for this year doesn't mean you can't still get your hands on Smith Black Herefords and their three Ps, performance, pedigree, and phenotype. Smiths offer bulls and females private treaty year round. They also have some top shelf semen available on some big names like SBH Al Capone 1970 and SBH Crosswalk 24ET. You can find information about their program on the Smith Black Herford Facebook page at smithblackherfords.com or you can reach Jacob at 641-521-9947 or Mark at 641-521-0797. But, well, I think with know, Herefords, it could be trickier even, you know, as a Hereford breeder, we've talked for years, for generations about, you know, goggle eyes versus a white face and that, you know, the white face, well, you might have issues with vision. And I could see a lot of it just getting chalked up to that over the years without realizing that there's actually a genetic issue going on. Yeah. I mean, there's no relationship uh, with the blindness to... Uh any of the coloring around the eye and stuff with this phenotype it's not it's not related to the cancer eye thing or anything like that the the thing that would be in a lot of commercial situations if you were producing these in a commercial herd uh, putting Hereford on Hereford you may not ever notice it because by the time they'd go blind they would be in a feedlot where they would right. adapt well and it wouldn't have any deleterious impact at all the cows we brought here they navigated pretty good in the facility. When you moved them around, they would kind of run into gates and walls a little bit, but they, they'd move slow enough not to hurt themselves. And the big thing we noticed is when they laid in the pen, other cattle would usually orient themselves with their back to a wall and their eye on the hallway so they could see what was going on. And these cattle would lay down facing right into a corner of the wall or something. So you notice they were a little bit different. Yeah, that's interesting and it makes sense, but it would be one of those things that you would just have to slowly notice over time. Like, oh, yeah. that seems a little odd. And there was a couple of the cases that had, they did have the cornea of, of one eye that was damaged, I presume because they were blind, they maybe run into a, some sticks mm -hmm. or branches or something, or maybe at a, a, a feed manger or something for some coarse straw from a bale or something poked them in the eye but some one of them even had some foreign material in the cornea so you could have even though the disease itself doesn't cause a lesion in the front of the eye you could have one that was blind from this variant that would have secondary ocular damage yeah that makes sense too 
I don't know if you can answer this, so feel free to tell me to jump off. But do you have any idea on potential impact to the breed from this? It'll be fairly minimal um, since we have the test available already. Anybody with cattle in the at-risk lines can easily get the, the genotype of the at-risk offspring and then use that as a selection tool. Since it's not a real severe phenotype, you know, you could even work around it if you had a, like a really good cow. I mean, two of these blind cows were, were still being bred at the time we started the project and you can use those cattle and do a mating and then you could screen the offspring and try to segregate the good attributes that these animals were originally selected for and separate it away from the negative phenotype. Well, and I think that's an important message. And I, we've talked a little bit about some different genetic issues on the show before. Uh, MSUD was discovered in Black Herefords, so we've talked a lot about that. And there tends to be a lot of panic when a new one is found, right? But it all comes back to making intentional choices and going in with your eyes open. It's it's not necessarily something to panic over, but it's something to be aware of. Yeah, it used to be really devastating because like the, I did my PhD on a disease in polled Herefords that had a abnormality in red blood cell maturation and like that whole line of cattle is almost non-existent in the breed today because everybody's like oh if they come from this ancestor they carry that bad trait and they all went away from it and now being able to do all of this stuff like by the time we announce it to the breed you know it's usually within 18 months to two years at the most before we've ever even known it existed so as soon as we know and have good evidence on how it's inherited and make that announcement, the, the test is typically already available. So rather than discriminate against the whole line, you can make good selection choices. I mean, some of these bulls, if they were carriers of it, they could be like a really good deal for a terminal crossing situation. You're not gonna have any risk of producing blind animals. And I mean, you could use that semen in your herd, but you know, as, as long as you, have good records and you know what you're doing, you can certainly capture the good parts of it. And there's no deleterious impact at all on the heterozygote, so. So the test is now available. You guys worked with Neogen to develop that yeah. commercially available test, correct? Yeah, they're, we're fortunate with, they're kind of, they're one of the early pioneers in these areas and they, they have a, their testing facility is about a mile north of our lab, so. It's like super handy to to work with them to get the technology transferred. And I'm working on a condition now where I actually can use their import permit. To, they bring in samples for routine testing from Canada all the time. And I don't keep a import permit active because there's a fee involved with that every year. And we got a couple of interesting cases up there with some high drops pregnancies that we're investigating that I can use my contacts at Neogen to get samples to us so we can get DNA harvested and further that research. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time today to kind of talk about how this all developed and give us some inside insight into what digging into these 
genetic defects really looks like and, and what that process is. So thank you so much. Yeah, I'll just make a final point, you know, to anybody that listens, you know, if they have a concern about something that may be genetic, it, the best resource is always uh, to go through the breed association. If it's a commercial cattleman, it's usually the sire breed that you would contact. And, and those guys have a lot of knowledge. There's usually a point of contact there. Sometimes it's a person in charge of public relations. Sometimes it's the person in charge of research. Sometimes it's the breed improvement person, but they'll have one person that handles these. So they're aware of the known defects in the breed and those will be on the websites. They're also aware of the things that I or other people might be working on. And they're also positioned if, if it looks like a, something worth investigating further of getting it resourced to help assist with getting it looked at. Some people are a little bit gun shy of drawing attention to their line of cattle that may have a problem. And they're certainly welcome to contact me directly at the Nebraska Diagnostic Lab and and I'll work with them. On my submission form, I have a little chart at the bottom. You release it to the owner, to the owner and the vet, to the owner and the vet and the breed association, and they can release it as far as they want. I respect the confidentiality of the cases that come in here. I always strongly encourage them to work with the breed associations, but if I have an ongoing project with the breed association, and I get a producer that's a little bit shy of drawing attention to their cattle. If they submit me the sample, I can still get the DNA and do the sequencing and use that data to help sort out where the variant may be or to confirm the variants causing the phenotype. And it's still useful without me having to report it. So. It's not anything for people to be afraid of. We're, we're always super careful about animal IDs or ranch IDs. Uh, we reported one. We got one paper submitted right now that, you know, it was actually a herd where the identity of the herd wasn't really a concern as far as confidentiality. But in the final draft of the paper, I went through and deleted that from everything. Like, no, I don't want... I don't want to publish anything that has that on there because that could scare people off because all the release of animal genotypes or phenotypes needs to be done through the breed association in a very responsible manner under the rules of the association and in and, and compliance with the law. So, A logistical with question on that. If somebody's reaching out to you or the association, they think they've got something what do they need? I, I assume time is of the essence, right? You've got an animal here that may or may not still be alive. Is there anything that you would recommend that they do right away to try to preserve some kind of ability to test or to, to look into that animal? The, the most important thing is to like get a hold of us as soon as possible. Cause I get a lot of reports that are the associations have a reporting form and people will fill out the form and send it in. Sometimes it'll be six months after the calf is dead of and disposed of. For some skeletal defects, I've actually had people go out and exhume the skeletons from a ditch or whatever, and, and we could still look at it. But it's like, now with the technology we have, just about everybody has a cell phone in their pocket. Like, if it's a something phenotypically that you can see visually, like take a picture of it and you can email it. Um, we have a generic email address at our diagnostic lab. It's VDC, like Vet Diagnostic Center, VDC2 
at UNL, like University of Nebraska Lincoln, BDC2 at UNL.edu. And to my attention, and they'll get that to me the same day, usually within an hour after it comes in, and I can respond back. I've had people call me and text me pictures, and then we talk on the phone while I'm looking at the pictures, and we decide what to do and what to sample. If it's in a situation where you can't do that in real time, always if the animal's alive, get a purple top blood tube if you can. On the ranch, you may not have that. If uh, you could call a vet out if the calf's going to live. If something dies, I always have people cut off the end of the ear because that cools fast if you find something dead. So there's not a lot of deterioration. And that makes a real good source of DNA. It's fairly clean and it's a long way from all the contaminants that spread through the body after an animal dies. But like as soon as you notice there's an abnormal phenotype that you have a concern about, you need to report it either to me or to the breed association. And then we can work with the producer or a lot of times we'll engage the local vet. Um, if people are close to a state or regional diagnostic center, sometimes they'll take it directly there. We can kind of coordinate and direct people. I know somebody in most diagnostic labs in the Western US, I usually know at least one person in the diagnostic lab there that I've referred to stuff to in the past and stuff, and they're real good about helping us get things documented. But the big thing is time is of the essence so we can preserve samples. And if we need to get DNA from the dam or something, it's convenient to do it while she's still around before they go out to summer pasture or whatnot. This show is supported by Walters Cattle Farm. Robert and Sandy Walters own and operate Walters Cattle Farm down in Kentucky. This is a family and an operation that have been huge and longtime supporters of everything American Black Hereford. If you're looking to add muscling and depth to your cattle, or you just want to get to know the American Black Hereford family, Robert is definitely someone you need to call. You can find Walters Cattle Farms on Facebook or reach out to Robert at 270-832-1180. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. I, I hope that people took note of that. You know, genetic defects are nothing new to the business, but knowing what to do when you suspect you might have one, I think is very valuable. So yeah, thank you for the, that. The vast majority of the reports that I get aren't genetic. And a lot of times we can at least, we can't determine the cause. We can at least reduce the anxiety, kind of reassure you that it's not going to happen again next year. Right. Sometimes it, it might be a toxic plant or something and kind of tell you what you're looking at and occasionally we'll engage an extension person to go out and look and verify that the plant's present. But usually about all you can do with those, some of them you can spray and other ones you just have to be a little more aggressive at rotating your pastures before the cattle are kind of forced to eat some of that stuff. Right, right. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks for listening. You can get in on the conversation over at our Facebook page at Black Hereford Chronicles, where we'd love to hear from you. Of course, don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.